You're listening to In The Making. I'm Martin Lumsden, and in this podcast series, I talk to artists, producers, writers and musicians about their experiences of choosing to make a career out of doing what they love to do. Singer and songwriter Lewis Bootle is a regular collaborator with other writers and producers and an active live performer, recently appearing on stage in support of Frank Turner. What was the point, if you can remember, when you went, oh, this is what I want to do? I think really early, um, it was my granddad, because my granddad was a jazz drummer. He, he, he had been since like the age of 10, and he always played jazz in the house, just like vinyl jazz, on, like... Literally, I didn't ever know who was playing. I didn't really ask. I just listened. I'd sit down and I'd listen. And um, with that and like his kind of rhythm, like because he was a drummer, he always mm. wanted to tap and he was always kind of like intuitively tapping. And, and I, I, would, I would watch him from an early age and like kind of subtly drum along. And then as as you you learn, don't you? You learn mm. from your your old your elders. So um, it was probably that moment, I guess. And then. Um, then my dad's music taste as well, because like obviously he had a very different music taste, like yeah. sort of David Bowie and then The Clash and sort of The, the Pistol, like all sorts, literally loads, of, but mainly mainly kind of like London rock and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And so um, with that, I kind of got um, a, a different sense of groove. So everything with the jazz is is very smooth. Like it was easy listening, and then you you all of a sudden you get from your granddad's house in the car and your dad's got the clash on. Uh-huh. It's a complete paradox of, of music styles. So if you're open to listening to loads of different music styles, you will pick from th- these different parts what you like. Mm. like. Ultimately, like there's some parts of the clash that I can't stand and there's some parts of jazz that that sometimes might get, like, not boring, that's not the quite word, but might not interest me as yeah. much as other parts. And I just think that's it. You've got to pick what what really is important to you because if you're not bit if you're not picking something that really does feel right then you can't go with it so that's where you picked up your love of music yeah can you remember a point when you went not just that oh i really like music and i'm really interested in this but a point when you went this is something i actually want to do okay so when it when when i was at school um in the gcse block in the same creative part it was art and design and music. And um, after talking with the family and stuff, it was kind of what's got uh, the most beneficial output, like mm-hmm. for money, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and um, we went we went along with graphic design because like, I was I was good at graphic design and I was good at music. And it was kind of like, where where do you think you could make money? Yeah. And um, like we boiled it down and we thought graphics. It's, so not, when... it's not music, though. No, 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 do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's never going to be music. Yeah. You can't lay about and play your guitar all day, boy. But... Um, I was still laying about and playing guitar all day mm. long, so that was the problem. Playing, mm. still playing music and writing music at the same time as like doing doing graphics. Like, I love graphics, don't get me wrong, mm. and I like branding and the way that you present yourself. But music is another part of that. It's, it's another arm, uh, another string to the bow, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, the music was always very strong as like through GCSE up to A levels through college, and then. Like I did um, a foundation degree at uni, still in graphic design. So I finished that like two, two, three years ago. But still, up until that point, still playing music, still gigging, still mm-hmm. doing stuff. And it got to the point where um, you finish a foundation degree and you've got a choice for like a top up year yeah. um, to get a BA. And I, I sat down with with mum and dad. I was just like, I think it's got to the point where I really have like studied hard and I was get, I was doing well. Like yeah, yeah. I was proving myself. And um, but I was like. 
I'm diverted the whole time back to this. And if this is what I'm getting on a train to go into London on odd days during the week when I've got uni in the morning, like surely this this is what's right mm. because it's it's a natural course. If you're constantly going to something, then you can't leave it. It's mm. it's like a magnet, really. So you were very conscious of the sort of passion was within you to just keep wanting to yeah yeah perform. Was it perform? It was performing and I think it's writing. When you when you know you write something really good, mm. um, that it, it might not even it might just be a four chord song, but the lyrics you know the lyrics mean a lot, and and the way that you've sung them and the way you've composed it means a lot. Then again, it's close to your heart, and then when you perform it, it reinstills that faith. When people come to you at the end of a gig, or or even if your friends, anyone, if anyone says like, "Wow, that that was brilliant!" Like that really meant something to me. But but especially when it's a stranger, mm. I think that's when you realise like music is powerful. That the thing that I'm doing here, it might just be a boy in a bedroom. But mm. if I keep it in the bedroom, it will stay a boy in the bedroom. If I mm. take it into London, and then this is what it's used for, then it becomes a tool. I think you're right. It's not not that many people maybe get to experience that point where it crosses from all your friends saying this is all right to someone literally who you don't know saying, "It's wow, always really very... love love what you do." That must yeah. be quite a big moment. Yeah, it's hard not to kid yourself when you're playing to family and friends because a lot of the time they can be biased mm. and like, okay, you might write a great track and it might be really good, but until you do play it to a stranger in a room in an ambient room and you've displayed your your lyrics or your words or your voice, whatever you've done, and it really has hit home and you can feel it in the room. It's the, it's about the feeling. When you when you really feel that you've connected, it might not even be many audience members, if there's 10 people in a room, but you feel that you have silenced that room mm. apart from your breath and your voice and you feel that mm. in between it. Like me and my friend were having, or the guy I was writing with yesterday, um, we were talking about this and um, we said that you can kind of say thank you a bit too early when you finish your song as if it's a lit can be a little bit provocative if you go like yeah. thank you very much before you've even kind of had that little little breath of fresh air to to feel if the if the vibe has been captured let well. it be appreciated let it be appreciated yeah. and um like we were just kind of like noting a few musicians that we've come across and like we've done it ourselves as well mm. that like sometimes you might play and you're, you, you've almost rushed it. You've not done it. You've not composed it and presented it in the way that it was supposed to have been. Yeah. And you can forget that. So you've you've got to kind of have the same essence as writing it and understand that you're. It is like you're playing this song again for the first time. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you're playing it over and over. So you might have got a great, a great round of applause the last three venues you've played at, but you might not get that this time. Yeah. So I remember reading a, a great a guy, David Hepworth, uh, who used to write for Word magazine and stuff like that. And I can't remember all of these tips, but he had seven tips for making it as a music yeah. artist. And one of them I remember very clearly was remember that your audience is your most precious commodity. If you don't, you know, if you don't, if you forget about them, then what have you got? Um, and I think that's really true. I also I don't know what you think about this. I always, I, I think it's um, it must be quite a challenge actually for a lot of artists starting out now because. They've been so, um, you get so washed over with so much presentation from videos, TV, X yeah. Factor, radio, everything that you see now, you see a lot of performance. That's what, that's what I'm trying yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah. You see a lot of artists performing. I think it must be quite a challenge for a younger artist or someone starting out to not 
um, look at that and try to replicate it rather than finding something right. from within. So you end up, do you know what I mean? You end up acting how you think I you're supposed to act yeah. rather than actually doing what, you're, think, doing what you're doing. I think the internet has become a problem for this because obviously you can, you can be a Mac monkey and sit at home all day long and um, watch YouTubes of your favourite acts all day long and, and then go, okay, these, I've, I've li- washed this down to like these 10 people, these 10 people I absolutely love. I'm going to watch their YouTubes all day long and see how they perform. That's not natural. Mm. These people have become like they have because they've gone and done the same circuit as everyone else. They've gone and gigged. They've they've struggled through it, like the late nights, whatever, whatever. But they've sat and they've watched other artists and developed around the other artists in a live environment. Mm. I think that's so important is going going to these live venues and playing with other people and actually listening. Don't go in with your friends bring your friends in to watch you and then leave. Mm. You've got to stay because I think those, sometimes it's it's a bit of a shock because you might be playing somewhere and you, you might walk in and think, okay, I've got this, absolutely knock it dead. You might do really well and perform really well, but then the next guy might come on and you're like, whoa, okay, yeah. this guy's real good yeah, and yeah. he's doing something completely different to me, but I really like what he's doing. So then you might meet that person and if you meet that person, then you might collaborate with that person or whatever like just meeting these people talking understanding and then with that understanding they might want to understand something about you and through that conversation you will actually swap some it'll be very minor but minor traits i do believe then get swapped and that is how a natural style can grow yes yeah yeah, so you sort of, I think you've said this a couple of times, you sort of absorb different things from different people, but that's how you find your own path. It's not by trying to copy, yeah. but by, I suppose it's a form of inspiration, I it's guess. It's so hard because you've got to have this clean kind of wavelength that you always sit on and then it it can never hover too further from the wavelength. It's always got to stick on the same strand hmm. that, that you are true to, but it's... It's got to develop, and that is the yeah, hardest yeah, yeah. thing. And I think the activity of consciousness can sometimes mess that up. Sometimes it can inhibit it, and sometimes it can really help it, just depending on how you use it. Mm. You seem to be very aware of, uh, I, don't, I don't want to phrase this badly, like the opportunities that arise from being able to collaborate, meet with people, yeah. connect with people, collaborate with people. You seem to be very open to that um, network, if you like, um, yeah. rather than thinking, <laughs> uh, rather than being very isolated. Um, I think you could either slip into two kind of groups. Like, I've, obviously, I gig in London. London's kind of like my place for gigging. I love, I love London, and I've met so many people in London. I think there is a there is a divide. Don't get me wrong. There are people that want to do it all all by all on their own. And um, they don't want to learn from anyone and they stick to their guns. And, and fair enough, if you want to do that, you want to do that. But the people that I meet that inspire me, um, they want to work with other people and they want to learn. Like, I know this is a bit off track, but uh, James Taylor, I was listening to a James Taylor interview. That guy is pretty old now. And mm. um, he was saying, like, I'm still learning every day on the, on the guitar. Like, I will never stop learning on this thing. So if you bring take that attitude with you, and understand that you're never going to stop learning and collaborating and understanding other people, that's a form of growth. If you're putting yourself in a hole without any external 
any external sources whatsoever. Like it's okay to be internal because like you've got to have an internal understanding, and I think a good songwriter has a very strong internal understanding. But if it's fully about that, then it won't connect with any other people because yeah, the ultimate part of it is you. It's it's about a person. Depending on how they write, they might write in first, second, or third person. But but um, if they're writing in first person, it can be about them. But it's got to have a connectivity to. A, u- a universal crowd. If you mm. want it to be a big pop song, for instance, it's got to have a universal understanding. Yeah, yeah. So if you're not meeting people and understanding how other people write and how other people think about these these topics and these ideas, then yeah. you're just closing yourself off. I guess it helps you become, shall we say, rounded. It helps. <laughs> it helps your expression. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It helps your expression become more um, available. To, yeah. to other people's uh, references as well. Because I think there is something about writing um, from your own experience and trusting that that will touch other people. Yeah. Um, that you don't, you don't have to try and get into someone else's head. You can, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. very much yeah. express your own. But I think you're right. If you don't experience what life is like for other people, then yeah. you don't have the reference points that help you express points. it. But then, um, but because I'm, I'm, I've said before, but I'm quite lyrically but like I love I love good lyrics it's always mm. been somewhere along the line and I really can't remember that point but I really hooked on to lyrics I can't remember what song it was I think it was just a medley of a few different songs I was like lyrics are powerful mm. but the music is is the vessel I think the lyrics are like the sail on the vessel and they will really t- take it into open water and, and let you sail away on a good voyage but good music like when you've got great music that is almost speaking before the words have even been spoken like they 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 express that emotion so like coming across people that play that style of music where it's they cut away the lyrical elements a lot of the time and it's kind of more melody melodic and um just vocal patterns etc Um, but you can still understand, you completely understand what message they're trying to, to get to you. Mm. And sometimes it really works. So there are so many different styles that there's not one style. There's mm. not one, like, there's not a right style, there's not a wrong style, there's not a right path, you can't follow someone else's path. There's, there's no wrong, no right. Yeah, yeah. So just do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you try and do anyway. What would you say it is... Um that keeps you wanting to do this? I'm going to actually say it's when you come across... Like, for personal reasons, there are certain goals and whatever that you set in your head, almost like childish goals, like, I still really want to play the roundhouse. So, like, that's a goal marker. I want to play at the roundhouse. So, like, I've, I've played quite a lot of gigs in London, met a lot of people, and I'm um, weaving my way through. But, like, still mm. in the back of my head, I've kind of got these little goals that I want to hit. So mm. they... They're, they're always there, but on on a day to day goal sort of thing, it's just the improvement. You need you, yeah. You need to feel like you're improving. Why the Rontos? Um, because I saw free bands there when I was about thirteen or fourteen, and that was kind of the moment. Um, I watched Enter Shikari, an American band called A Day to Remember. I'm pretty sure mm. played there, and. Maybe Good Charlotte might have been the other band. Uh-huh. When uh, you understand the energy in a room and how powerful, even though these were very powerful types of music, like mm. I used to like um, a lot of rock and a lot of like kind of like 
on on the edge of kind of hardcore music. So like Shikari, for instance, mm. they're, they're very li- lyrically based again, like very conceptually based, but they've got the backing. They've really got the balls to back it. Mm. I think the real raw integrity of having five blokes on a stage, like giving it their all for a young boy anyway, is a game changer. Mm-hmm. That sounds to me like it was an, <coughs> it was an experiential thing. Yeah. That kind of hit you that went, oh, that I want to recreate that for myself seems yeah, to be what yeah. you, what what inspired or what what came across. But my style isn't like that. Mm. It's, uh, you can and I've seen many different acts. It wasn't the it wasn't the music, was it? It's it was the, the experience, feeling, the, the, the feeling, experience, the feeling, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I played um, at the end of last year. I opened for for Frank Turner in um, at the Union Chapel. If you've been there, that must have been amazing, mate. Yeah, so good. A friend of mine, Ben Ben Marwood played in the middle of me and Frank so it was me kind of early support Ben then Frank um, mm. and um, I played my set really enjoyed my set loved it loved it loved it and um, got a good round of applause at the end came off and uh, I was at the, the side stage like the side um, curtains watching it was um, he was playing and I think it was like his second or third song he's playing into the mic really using like the, the dynamics of the room he uses his emotions to kind of stress his voice out and then kind of like you can feel it it's kind of like an angry release and almost a shout. And um, what he would do is step away from the mic, and then with that step away from the mic, he would then do it into the into the room, and you just feel the cold bounce around the room, like the acoustics of the room, like you'd really feel it. And then mm. he'd step back to the mic, and because of that, like it's like you're in two venues at once. Wow, it was wicked. Yeah, real cool. So that was kind of a is the learning thing. Like yes, so, I yeah, know yeah. that if. Ever play in a venue which is like a church or somewhere like that? I'm going to use that trick of the trade. Yeah, yeah. Use the room. Use the room. <laughs> use the room. It's what it's there for. That's very good. So how was that supporting? Because um, Frank Turner is a big artist, right? Yeah. So how was, how was that experience? Yeah, it's, it's wicked. Frank's a ledge. Frank's on extra mile recordings, and um, the Monarch in Camden is kind of their little breeding ground, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they all hang out there. It's their hangout. So um, I was down there. I was playing a gig. And um, it just happened that Frank was in town and that he was he was he was about. So they said, "Well, do you want do you want to finish the show off?" So he he said, "Yeah." Um, he tweeted about it, so he got like a load of like the local the the Frank fans just mm. just like came down and packed the place out. Yeah. And um, I played my set, and it was it was lucky because he was down there early, and he was just chilling at the back. And um, I felt kind of my, my buzzer on my phone going a bit yeah. mad as I was playing. I was like, "Oh God, I should have turned my phone off." And um, I got off stage. Um, and then I looked at my phone and I, I had like a tweet saying from Frank saying like I just caught caught at booty tunes. Yeah. Uh just caught your stuff, like really enjoyed it. And then like a load of kind of like ads and stuff of like mainly people in the room because they're the people that had kind of were on, on Twitter at the time. Sure, yeah. So I managed through that, like obviously that was a the massive piggyback almost because he he kind of just obviously instilled a bit of faith and then it was a really nice vibe in the room and he after that he couldn't he didn't have a guitar with him and I just said mate like use my guitar feel free and he uh, snapped a string then then went on to use my other friend's guitar snapped that string come on and then then used someone else's it's quite funny (laughs) but um it I just kind of left on the terms of saying um Frank thank you for having me down sort of thing like be just good good to keep in contact didn't didn't hassle him he's mm. a human he's got a life uh-huh. and um 
he just got back at me. Uh, but actually, I was sending him a few demos, like because he added me on Facebook, and I was sending him a few demos, just like anything that I thought was decent. I was like, well, I'll send it. Just sorry to be the annoying da, 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 that sends you this. But um, here you go, please have a listen and tell me what you think. And he's like, yeah, mate, really enjoy that. Like like this lyric, like blah, 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 blah. And, um, and a couple of months later, just got, got a Facebook from him saying, do you want to open this show? I was like, yeah, mate, of course. <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually at work that weekend. <laughs> Let me think about it. <laughs> yeah. Is that the best thing that's happened in where you've got to so far? Or is there something else yeah. that you would say? Well, that's... <laughs> as of late, um, that, was, that was definitely the penultimate peak of last year. Mm. Um, we're going to do a kind of uh, up to the mid, maybe as high as the Midlands kind of tour. So we're going to start in Brighton and kind of hook it up through Reading to Bristol to Nottingham to Norwich, then um, Cambridge and then like back down to London. So we're kind of just going to do a little one of them in sort of June time. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been getting in with So Far Sounds, if you've. Yep. Yeah, so So Far London. Played a gig with them uh, last month. And uh, it was wicked. It was it was real, real, real good vibes. And yeah. like it, again, sometimes when you've got all the bells and whistles and everything, like you're playing with a load of bands, maybe on a stage where there's five of you and none of none of you have got any similarities in your music. Um, that it was nice to play in a room where people that, that their intention was to come, not drink at a bar and shout about what girls they like at the moment. It was just to come in, take a seat. You bring your own booze. Yeah. Just take a seat and enjoy. You don't know who's going to be playing, but there'll be like three, four acts playing tonight, four songs each, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. And it was so nice to know that people have paid money to to not know who's going to play, that they don't know stylistically what it's going to be like. They just know that it's going to be a chilled room with 70 people in, and that's it. What's the hardest thing about maintaining the job that you do now? Time and energy. Mm. That's it. Like, time and energy and never dropping your head, really. Because, is, is, like, obviously, at, at this point, unless you're very lucky, you, you've got to have a job on the side mm. and work a job. Wait, but, but don't get me wrong, I work a bar job and it's nice. Yeah. But it's not, it's not what I want to do. So... I guess sometimes that works as as actually a positive in a weird, weird way because mm. I have written some of my best songs or like some good songs after f- three or four days of solid work and because I've had all of this creativity bundled up and stamped on that it's got to release and mm. it does release and sometimes that can be really good but sometimes it can be a little bit like daunting like, oh, I've, I'm actually on a flow here like the last five days I've had off work and I've booked a few days off. I've really seen some progress, but mm. now I've got to stop for three or four days. So that that can be very hard, but everyone goes through that. Yeah. So you can't ever feel sorry for yourself. Has there ever been a point where you've thought, uh, do you know what, this is, this is, <coughs> it's not worth it, it's too hard? You'd be a liar if you said you'd never felt that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Me and my uh, friend were talking about that actually a couple of months back. But yeah, many times it's kind of like it's a bit cliche, but it's like the night bus on the night train home. You might have had a really crap gig, like no one's listened. You've you've just played a couple new songs or whatever. Or you, I'll tell you what the worst one is. You're finished. You're playing your kind of tired out set where you've just been playing it for the last four months or so, and like you're you're in the stage of writing your new stuff, and you really 
couldn't be asked to go there in the first place and you weren't quite sure if the turnout and all the energy and the travel and the time and the money would be worth it and it wasn't sometimes it's great and you get there and it's like this is why I do this this mm. is why I do this but you go there you might play to a crowd where everyone's talking no one's interested no one's listening and it's rubbish mm. and you've got to you've got to understand that that happens mm. happens what else have you got then in the making what's happening what's um, next Hopefully the EP. Well, no, definitely the EP. Starting with uh, Lauren. Ah, uh-huh, so, you're working with Lauren. So um, yeah, I think it is important to co-write because you can get one track mind, you can get a one track mind, and get stuck on an idea, and you think that's it, that's how it goes, and then someone can play something else and add add it or swap it around, and you go, ah, oh, that was actually like what I was originally thinking, but I've worked on this so long, like this work can't have gone to nothing, but like originally an idea that you might have had and taken out and then someone changes about might have been the idea you should have gone with. Mm. So um, I'm always open to that. So we'll go in, um, we'll take the demos, probably, hopefully, like because the demos, I, I've spent a bit of time on the demos anyway, trying to get them as structurally right as I can, hopefully mm. work from the demos and then use that as the basis and then work from there. And Lauren got talking to the guy from... So far, sounds the the sound engineer yep. as, as she does, yeah. And um, he uh, engineered for Martin Luke Brown. If you've heard Martin Luke Brown, he's got a very soulful guy. He's um on Parlophone Records uh-huh. at the moment. Um, but I, I was I tell you what happened actually is um when I released my la- last EP, it went into the top ten on iTunes, and at that point, I was like, oh, top ten, that is real cool. Yeah. So I checked every single person out that was above me oh. on that list, and he was like number two or number three, and he was the one that stood out on the, out of those people. And I was like, "Whoa, this guy, uh, this is real. This is some yeah. real good stuff." I felt something in his music that that was something that could be incorporated. Mm. Again, you can't copy, but there was something in his music that really stuck out for me. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be Martin at all, but and I've got a very different style, but. Say there's space in a song, you write a song, and um, if there's space, you can you can feel where things should go and you yeah, can hear yeah. where things should go. And there's certain things, and I think it was more atmospheric sort of things yeah. in his music that I was like, in certain songs, this could really, really work for me. Yeah, yeah. So it was quite lucky to find out that we've actually got a link here where I'm hoping that me and Lauren can go pretty mental on the production and then, then rework it with... Um, yeah, yeah with joseph his name is right. i think it's a good to seek out the people that you that you respect and the, yeah, and and the, and the things that you have heard and think well who <coughs> who was involved in that and like i say it's not a matter of doing the same thing or replicating it but if you can get contact with those people work with the people who create that then you then you then you've got the possibility of creating collaboration with yeah them. never be threatened and understand that people are strong in different areas and mm. it's the collaboration that helps strengthen your different areas it's kind of like a on football FIFA when you've got your stats and stuff isn't it like you've got to get your stats up and you've got to learn from from your team around you to get well that's a, that's a that's a good comparison it's all yeah. about it's all about a team isn't it you yeah, can't you yeah, can't, yeah. You can't yeah. win with one player you've got no, to have everyone's right. got their different it. abilities good extended metaphor right there <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was also thinking that when you said that you've got like you you, you were in the top 10 in the iTunes singer songwriter so I thought I'll check out the ones that are above me that's a lot easier to do when there's only nine above you. When there's 350 <laughs> above you, you're going, <laughs> Where's the I'll check out all these guys. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
The In The Making podcast was produced by me, Martin Lumsden, at the Cream Room Recording Studio. You can find us at creamroom.co.uk. To find out more information about the In The Making podcast and to subscribe to future episodes, please go to inthemakingpodcast.com.